Luke, the second chapter, we're going to talk about uh, the Christmas story. And I'm going to begin reading in Luke's gospel in the second chapter. In the very first verse, we're going to read a number of verses. But it says, And it came to pass in those days, verse 1, that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, when it says all the world, it meant all the world that was under Rome's control at that time, which was quite a bit. And it says this census first took place while Quirinus, I believe is how it's pronounced. I even looked in, online and they had different pronunciations, but was governing Syria. So all went out to be registered, everyone to his own city. So it would be like this when this census happened, uh, wherever your origin was, even if you lived in a different area, like for me, I was born in Southern California, uh, you know, I would have to go back there if there was the census. You know, there's a lot of Arizona people from different areas. And so that's what was happening here. You had to go to where you uh, were originally born or what city or lineage you were of and so all went to the uh, to be registered everyone to his own city verse 4 so Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David. So he went back up there to be registered. It says in verse 5, um, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She came to full term. You know, she was nine months at least, and she was ready to give birth, and she brought forth her firstborn son, it wrapped him in swaddling clothes, or basically in rags, and uh, laid him in a manger, uh, or a food trough is what we would say, and back then, uh, they weren't always made out of wood like, you know, the manger scene. Sometimes they were carved out of a rock. So it wasn't probably the most comfortable thing, but they put him in this food trough because there was no room in the inn. Uh, then verse 8 says this. Let me back up here. There are some interesting observations, I think, that are, uh, as you read through different stories in the Bible, and sometimes they stand out, and they can stand out uh, for a reason. You know, you ever read the Bible, and you've been reading through, you know, because I'm sure a lot of people have. Some people are probably new on their journey with the Lord, and they're just starting to read the Bible. This type of thing will happen to you. This is why I find the Bible, uh, one of the reasons, I guess, it's the most fascinating book in the world. It's the most unique book in the world. It is by far uh, the highest thing in the earth. Period. And um, because you can't know God, you can't, you know, there's just a lot of reasons why it is. And, uh, but one of the most fascinating things I find about the Bible is this. When you read the Bible, it reads different at different times. You know, you could be reading it, and uh, 
you just read through something, the next time you read those same passage or ten times later, all of a sudden something stands out there that, that why is that standing out? And then you could go back and read that same passage again later and it doesn't stand out, but it stands out and it speaks to you uh, for maybe where you're at right now. You with me? And uh, one of the things as I was reading through this and getting ready was this phrase right here in verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world, or all the known world that was under their control, should be registered. And uh, what's interesting is, according to Scripture, uh, the Messiah, the Savior, this child, was to be born in Bethlehem. Now, I don't, by these scriptures, don't believe that Joseph and Mary uh, had a book of prophecies and they didn't go, oh, now is the day we go do this. Now is the time we go do this. Just like when Jesus was uh, riding on a donkey, I don't believe he said today, you know, when he came in at the end of his life into the city and he was going to be taken and, and crucified, he didn't go, all right, guys, this is the donkey time. Uh, find the donkey, get the donkey, go do this. Okay, Judas, now's the time for somebody to betray me. Go ahead. it's not how it happened. And he's like, I can't die yet. Um, there's one more thing that needs to happen. Um, somebody go get a sponge down there and stick it in some bitter wine, you know, vinegar, and then put it on the tip of my mouth. It is finished. It didn't happen like that. These things were foreseen, and they were things that did shape what was God's design. And so, if you notice here, one thing that shaped God's design, and this is interesting, was not something spiritual at all. And sometimes people are looking for something spiritual to shape God's design, and it's not always spiritual. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, they needed to get to Bethlehem to fulfill that scripture. You with me? Uh, but uh, they didn't go, oh, we're about time to be pregnant, we're going to do this. It, it would look like they weren't even planning on going there to make this come to pass. And a natural event took place where this ruler said, we are going to do this census and we're going to make this happen. You know, uh, there are different stories in the Bible where natural things happened and the plan of God came to pass through it. For example, you know, most people know the story of Jonah and the giant fish, right? And uh, God wanted to reach these people and uh, Jonah did not like them, didn't want to do God's plan. He ends up in the belly of a fish after he repents, this is all natural. He happens to be at the right place, gets barfed up, spit up, departed the mouth, the belly of the fish. 
for those of you who don't like the other illustration. They say that that, that that flag of that time was a man, you know, coming up out of a fish, uh, you know, to talk to them. And so here you have a man naturally not trying to do God's will and some natural events drove him into the will of God. And sometimes natural things can help us. You say, well, what do you mean? Let me give another example. Moses was called, it was in his heart for years to shepherd the house of Israel or to be the, the guide, so to speak, the deliverer of all the people of Israel. He had it in his heart for years and years and years and years. And uh, he tried to attempt to do God's plan on his own. It didn't work out. You ever tried to do that? We're going to make this happen. It's going down today. We're going to make it work. Then he tried to make it work, and people turned on him. And it said he thought that they would all understand that this was the will of God. So he bails, and he runs. Well, thank God for the call. He's running now. And for 40 years, he shepherded sheep in the back of this desert area. What's so interesting, it was all through natural events and really through missing it, maybe in some degree. He ended up there, and he's out there shepherding these sheep in an area where eventually he's actually going to be leading the children of Israel where he led them for 40 years, he's going to now, the sheep, he's going to now take the children of Israel. It started out looking natural, not looking spiritual, like this can't be spiritual. You with me? But through natural events, they got put into a place that brought about the will of God. You know, Mr. Robe of Many Colors, you know, Joseph, he, get, he has a dream, a vision from God. He tells his brothers, of course, they're going to be thrilled about this. They were not thrilled about it. They said, uh, you're done. And they sold their brother into slavery and went home and told the dad he died. He got killed. Look at his garment. It's got blood on it. How many of you have thought about that with your brother or sister? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and they did that, and it looked like he was in the worst place in a natural situation, and, but it got him into a place actually to fulfill that prophecy. And you know, sometimes junk can be happening in the world that's forced upon us, that we don't like, and it's not from God. Thank you for your excitement. Not from God. Not part of God's plan. Not part of God's design. Not the way God wanted it. You with me? But it, some things can naturally push people into things uh, that will help them later or get them in a position where they're walking in God's best. And they'll look back and go, well, I didn't like that. Yeah, I've been there too. 
and didn't like it. I mean, I don't think it was the greatest thing. I don't think Mary's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I'm, you know, pretty much almost nine months pregnant here. Uh, let's go travel on a, you know, and they didn't go, well, we better be on a good bus. Because they didn't have buses. I mean, they had one size fits all donkey. If you had that or you were hoofing it. And if you don't know what that means, you were out there walking. She's way pregnant, and this is forced. They don't have a choice. They're just thrust into it. But what's interesting about what they were thrust into, it did something that put them in a position. You with me? to see Bible prophecy fulfilled. Some things that happen uh, put us in a position where we can see some things happen and they weren't even God's design. Because now i got to pray. Now i got to do that repenting I knew I needed to do. Now i got to go for it. The pressure is there. And whatever it is that puts you in a place, it could be put you in a place where you're trained. It can put you in a place where you maybe have to make some different decisions. Whatever it is, some things could be unknown and not even God. Could we be in a situation right now as a nation in a world that is in such oppression? I mean, I don't know about you, but... 2020, I have not really said, oh, 2020 has been a bad year. But if you look at 2020, it has been pretty interesting. I mean, I was talking, communicating with the business owner. I, I was floored how their business got killed or shut down for nine months. They literally were just sending me information. I was like, man, they're losing almost $100,000 a week in just a little small family business, you know, got multiple employees a week because they were shut down. And this is putting, this is one segment of a bunch of people, putting people in horrible situations. And I don't believe it's from God because God doesn't want evil. And he's not wanting to have people's livelihoods destroyed because he told us pray for your daily bread for provision so he's not wanting provision taken from people so we're in a situation right now within a year where we've had a president falsely accused i mean i thought what could get worse now that the pandemic will just kind of drift into the end of the year you know what I mean? And we'll just kind of go into... Because what could get worse? You know? We'll just, just kind of float right in. And, you know, we've had the pandemic. We've had just various things uh, happen. And now to find out we've been cyber attacked, which is basically a declaration of war. It's And that foreign countries have been maybe in our computer systems that govern our government not just for six months, possibly years, stealing and harvesting our weapons stuff. I mean, you know, how they work. That's not good if we go to war. You understand? And all these things are happening, and all these riots, and all this different stuff.
And, and they're, they're saying, if you don't pay attention, they're saying that there are people even in the Pentagon that were just pretty much given up on their computers and are having to start over because they're so infected and messed up from this stuff, from this hacking. You know, if you aren't paying attention, there's, and I'm thinking, this is not good. This would be like being attacked it, because it is an attack. And I'm thinking, man, it's just been one thing after another. But one thing that things do, and it, it, it may not affect you this way, and it really shouldn't, but it causes vexation to the world. You know, we have a generation of young people, if you ever watch some of the videos when people go onto the college campuses and ask conservative questions, you know, just ask questions. People freak out. They'll call the cops. They're here. They're fear-mongering. All they're doing is asking a question. Uh, and, and they're so fragile. This kind of stuff is making people go over the edge. That's why suicide is up. It's not from God, but it could put the world in a position where they hit the bottom of the barrel. And sometimes when people hit the bottom of the barrel, they just think, okay, I need help. And they start looking. Well, that could position the church where you have, instead of people going, I'm too busy with this, and I'm too busy with this, where we have the message. Now, we should always be sharing, but it could thrust some things upon us. You get what I'm saying? Just from natural standpoint, where people heard enough, they're going to look for help. It's not from God. It's not God's design. All men should seek God, regardless how good or how bad it is. But you get situations, and if you know anything about history, church history for sure, that many of the great things that occurred where God was able to uh, just work through the church in large scale happened many times in or through major crises. You with me? Because people then go, there's got to be more to life because life has just been ripped out from underneath me. And so here, this census was forced on them. And it being forced upon them, what's interesting about it is it all of a sudden put them in a position to see some of the promises that were given finally come to pass. Hallelujah. I mean, if things are thrust on us, we should learn to use our faith. And maybe we should have before, but now it's thrust on us, so we get to use our faith. Amen? And we get to go, okay, I get to practice not worrying now. This can create a lot of tension, because a lot of people get under more pressure. Well, then we get to learn how to forgive one another. And put it into practice. Because you knew that this book is about practicing it. It's not just an insurance policy on how to get to heaven. Well, maybe I should preach a different message. But it does. things don't have to be perfect is what I'm saying. And some things that are pushed on us, uh, they're not God's design, but we could see God's design come to pass regardless. You with me? 
That's good news. You know what we've gone through here in our country longer than 2020. But if you remember, some of you can't remember this, but back in the late 60s, we went through some of the same things. Uh, but this is, I think, in taking the cake now. If you don't know what that means, it's the one that won the prize for what was worse. But out of that came what the church world knew as history knew as the Jesus movement and the charismatic renewal. Are you with me? Thank God we're on the inside. That means we'll be the ones used. Some people have been praying, God, use me, God, use me. Well, you'll get used, all right, so don't complain when you get used. I feel like I'm just used. Well, you've been praying about it. Well, that went over. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. There's some good stuff in here. So it gets forced on them. And uh, verse 8, well, we'll read verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the end. So the place he was born actually was God's design. He spoke and said it would happen, but the way it happened was probably not the way most people thought it would happen. You with me? Not the way that we thought, oh, this is going to happen. Thank you. You know, you ever thought something's going to happen? I know the Lord's dealing with me about this. This is how it's going to happen. It'll happen. Just don't have to think it's going to happen exactly the way you think, maybe. Hallelujah. Verse 8. Now there were, in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. So they're out there, these shepherds, and an angel appears. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Well, from the Bible standpoint, it was either a bright, super bright light, or like a cloud, but not a natural cloud. And it's, or it could have been both, because they're both described as the glory and it says, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Notice he said, listen guys, you don't have to be afraid of me appearing to you. I've come to tell you some good news that will be good news for all people. And it says this, For there is born to you this day, or you could say for you, this day in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. In other words, a sign is something that's going to tell you you've seen the right one. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That was a sign to them. So these shepherds are there. An angel 
uh, appears, and there's glory there. And uh, he said, listen, there's a Savior born over there in this city. Go there. And, you know, when we think of a city, uh, Bethlehem only had a few hundred people there. So it wasn't like, you know, like go to Mesa and find a baby. We have 500,000 people here. So if we're down in Gilbert and they're like, go to Mesa, you'll find a baby. You're going to find lots of babies. You go to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem in this small little city, it would be real easy to ask around and go, anybody know of a new baby when there's only two, three hundred people there? You're going to know. They're going to be able to say, oh, yeah, over there. And that's what happened. And so they went, and verse, uh, but before they went, sorry, verse 13, and suddenly as this angel was speaking, there was, uh, was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts or other angels praising God. Wow, now that would have been a wild scene. We're seeing an angel. It said they were greatly afraid over one angel. Yeah, I think it probably multiplied then. Say, what? And this really happened. I mean, an angel and then a multitude of angels. You know, one thing is this. Just because people haven't seen angels doesn't mean angels don't exist. And just because people haven't seen demons doesn't mean they don't exist. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who have had encounters but they weren't visual encounters with these unseen entities. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, there was a time when this one prophet uh, was, uh, you know, part of Israel, and he was anointed by God, and God would tell him secrets, and he would know things that were going to come to pass, and there were some enemy armies that would, would want to come against Israel, and this prophet would say, hey, they're going to do this, and they would, Israel would know before it would happen, it was going to happen, so this other country's like, what in the world's going on? We got a spy among us. And we're going to find out who it is right here. And one of the guys stands up and said, uh, no, it ain't it. They got this prophet over here. And he knows what's going on before. And he sees it over there. And then he just tells. Well, the reason he did was because God was doing that. So they're like, let's go get the dude. I would, why do people do some of the things they do? Why are some people not intelligent? No, serious. This happens all the time in the world today, people are not intelligent. No, it, seriously, it, they're unintelligent. You would think, why would you go, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. He keeps getting divinely visions of armies doing this, and he knows what we're going to Well, let's just go get him. How is this going to work out when all the other times it doesn't work out? I mean, we got a book that tells us there will be plagues, pandemics, natural disasters, evil people, perilous times will come before the second coming. People can read this, and they're like, it's just, well, one of these days we'll get back to normal. No, one day we won't get back to normal. 
Now, the pandemic may go, but other th stuff's going to happen. We should have enough sense to go, we're probably closer than we may know. I mean, how can you read a book like this and then just go, nah. And that's what these, they did back there. So, But the reason I was telling that story is there's this prophet there, uh, and he has a servant that works there, you know, like an assistant. And uh, he wakes up. I don't know if he went out to get the newspaper or what. They didn't have newspapers, as far as I know. But he went outside, and he sees this army around these enemies, and he comes running back in, and he closes the door, puts the lock. I don't know if he did that, but he did come back in. He tells the prophet, he said, dude, we're in trouble. There's an army around us. And he's like, relax. And he said, there's more with us than there are with them. And this is what I was saying. Just because we haven't seen one angel or a multitude, this is real. They're there. And so this prophet says, and prays, Lord, open his eyes. Well, it couldn't be his natural eyes because his natural eyes had already told him there's an army there that's come to get you and I'm with you. What are we going to do? Think of this natural thing that all of a sudden brings a spiritual thing into motion. He prays, he goes out and looks, and all of a sudden there is a multitude of heavenly angels and fiery chariots. And I bet you that servant right there got pretty cocky. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. But he didn't see that before. And just because people don't see things doesn't mean they're not there and not working. And here, it's suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. There's God's plan. Peace and goodwill toward men. But at the same time, we live in a parallel world where we know there will not be peace. There will be upheaval. There will be wars. There will be famines as we get closer to the end. There will be various things that will happen to the point where the Bible starts naming the countries that these things will happen in. And we're right there watching this stuff come to pass. And he said... Peace on earth? Goodwill to men? Did, did one thing expire at the expense of another? Did peace on earth and goodwill toward men expire? You know, by the time Jesus started telling of all the things and the Bible authors who prophesied and spoke how the end of the earth would look, and we know that there will be some pretty bad stuff, did the peace on earth and goodwill toward men end? Or can we be in the world watching it and still have peace on earth and goodwill toward men? And is this peace like the world gives? Remember Jesus made this statement, the peace I give to you is not like the world gives. So if we try to judge and go, okay, peace is when there's no problems, then we're going to miss out on the peace he gave. And the peace he gave 
is like the very atmosphere of heaven. It actually is comprised of being cleansed inwardly from all sin and being put right with God and then having peace, divine peace with God and divine peace in you. That doesn't mean it's going to end trials, end tribulation, end the fact that Russia, Iran, Syria, different countries around Israel will attack Turkey in the last days, will attack them, and that Syria will be laid waste, or Damascus. That's not going to end that. We're going to watch that. You with me? But we're going to, we, well, I should say, we as believers should have peace on earth. Not peace when we get to heaven. How in the world did the disciples and all the early believers, no matter all the tests and trials and all the junk that was thrown on them, did they live a rejoicing life? An admirable life. A life full of peace. How did they do that? They'd get thrown in prison. And they lived a life of peace and joy. And then they didn't go, this serving the Lord is horrible. I got thrown in prison. When they get thrown in prison, they're like, cool, let's go do it again. They'd get out of prison and they would praise the Lord. And you know what song they sang? One, any of the ones we sang this morning. So how do you know? Because I know the scriptural basis of theirs. They said, praise you, Lord. We were counted worthy to be beaten for your sake. How about singing that on a Sunday morning? <laughs> Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. What happened to you? Oh, this week I got some rocks thrown at me. Praise the Lord. We're going to be singing about that this week. This so happens that's the song we're singing. Praise the Lord. I was counted worthy to have rocks thrown at me for living for the Lord. Somebody said, well, that didn't sound peace on earth. You know, because, you know, songs are about reality, you know, and that's what they sang. They said, praise the Lord, we were counted worthy to be beaten for the Lord's sake. How did they do that? They learned how to live in the peace of God. Not because everything was perfect. As a matter of fact, as things get darker... You know, we used to sing that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. Put it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Well, when we get near the end, we're not supposed to go, oh my goodness, let's hide this. One of the most fascinating things about light and darkness, as it does get dark, even little lights look phenomenal. I mean, they, some, oh, you know, I just got a little bit of light. Just a tiny. Hey, it gets dark, your little light is going to look wonderful. Don't diminish the light by thinking, oh, well, it's so small. But these people back then learned to live in the peace of God, and so they became independent of circumstances, or you could say it like this, their Christianity became independent of their surroundings. We've needed this for a long time. 
my Christianity, your Christianity, my new life in the Lord and yours as a believer is not based on our surroundings. It's, it is to affect our surroundings. It's not to cave in. Light does not cave in. So when they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward man, he wanted peace. The final prophecy or, or, or the end of a prophecy that was given to John's father in the first chapter, let's look at this real quick. We're going to go through a couple of verses. The chapter right before, uh, John's father uh, gets this prophecy about him. John, is we know him as John the Baptist. He's the one who lost his head for the Lord. And, um, you know, it got cut off for serving the Lord and for being a witness of the coming of the Savior. And there's this prophecy that is given supernaturally about him. And right at the end, it talks about how this... John the Baptist is going to prepare the way of the Lord and uh, he's going to tell uh, about the Lord and what it looks like when he comes and he's going to be finishing this divine inspired word. And here it is in verse 78. It says, Through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring or literally the dawn of the, or the Messiah from on high has visited us. The Messiah is the Savior. That's Jesus. So the prophecy goes from talking about John to Jesus. And it says, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness. That means people who live in this dark world can get light. But then not only can they get light, it's not natural light, it's spiritual light. Then they become light in the Lord. The Scripture's clear about that. It says, Light to those who sit in the shadow or in darkness and the shadow of death. Notice the very next part. To give, or I'm sorry, to guide our feet into the way of peace. What did he say? Peace on earth, or on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And it says that he will guide us into peace. The Bible says in the New Testament that when somebody receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior in Romans 5.1, it says they become justified. They come back into good standing with God. They're clean from all their sins. They're justified. You know, you're made clean. Of what sins? Whatever ones you committed. Not just the ones before you got saved. After you gave your life to the Lord, you have not been perfect. You've been justified. And it says, therefore, because you're justified, you have peace. Peace with God. It's the end of all hostilities. It's the end of inward turmoil. There's a divine peace that should govern all Christians no matter their surroundings, no matter what's going on in the earth. But you know, that's not always true. But it should be. 
It's not always true. But is it God's plan? Yeah. Well, when should we start practicing? Right now. We're, we will be challenged on the earth in this area, but God wants all of His people to have peace. But I have a part to having it active just like you do. And I'll tell you what, in, in the days we live, just like the disciples lived, they needed to walk in divine peace just like we do. And we live in a world who's going to want to tell you everything negative, all the problems that are going on, look what's happening. I mean, I don't know. They, when they turn on the news, they don't have the good news section. You know, it's like, well, let's just tell you some good things that are happening. Then we'll ease you into the bad. It's like they sock you in the face with 47 murders. Everybody is dying of the coronavirus. And then they get people all freaked out. I mean, if we're saved and we go, we know where we're going. We shouldn't freak out over that. We should be more bothered about the people who die without knowing the Lord. But they're not telling them that. They'd be freaking out even worse. Because there is a real place after this life called heaven or hell. Just like the angels that were not seen and then became seen. Those things may not be seen, but they will be one day. And so when he said peace on earth, he didn't say peace when you get to heaven. We all know that for sure. And so if he said peace on earth and goodwill toward man, we know how God approaches us. But just like they had some contrary circumstances, even in the fulfillment of those scriptures, that wasn't the most convenient thing to be born in a manger, but it was prophesied. He, you know, born in a stable, born in Bethlehem. That came to pass even in the middle of stuff that wasn't really God. Stuff is going to come to pass and is coming to pass. Even now, and it, it's not coming to pass because everything is happening is the will of God. Let me say that again. There are things that are happening right now that are coming to pass and they are coming to pass and they are God and they're not coming to pass because all the circumstances are of God. So I said, we need gifts of the Spirit sometimes in our service. That was a gift of the Spirit right there. If you don't know what it is, just go, cool, whatever that was. Whatever that was. We'll just move right on to the next thing. But it will be recorded and engraved forever, so to speak. What was said. So when he said peace and goodwill toward men, then then if God's intention is peace for us, we must have a part to play, or automatically every Christian would walk in this divine peace and presence. And here's the thing. You can be fine and not be, I'm a mess when you don't have this peace, so to speak. But there are degrees to this peace. There is measurable degrees to this divine peace. 
And you can judge yourself where you're at, not me. And if you hunger for more peace, then, then there's more to walk in. If you're just so, oh, I got so much peace I can't handle it, then you're good. But if you're like, I want more peace manifest in my life, then there is something we can do about it. He gave it. He said, I've already put you in good standing. You have peace with God. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Then, then if that's the case, well, what's the hang up here? Why does one person have it and another person doesn't? Well, you should have been here at Friday at prayer because I talked about this. Let's bow our heads and pray. We're going to dismiss. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to briefly talk about it. Something you can do or I can do. Because it is the natural course of every believer from God's standpoint to walk in much divine peace. Much divine comfort. And hear this, and when you walk in that peace, faith will be abounding. But there are some simplistic things that need to be done. Not ten, pretty much one will connect you as a Christian to this. Psalm 19 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Well, if there is something acceptable to God, then there's probably something that's not acceptable or not right for this peace. I have been observing over the years different people who walked in peace and didn't walk in peace. It, it was an anomaly to me, or a weird thing to me, because when I became a Christian, one thing about a baby Christian is there's a ton of innocence. Just like when a child is born, they're innocent. And there was a ton of innocence in me, and I thought everybody loved the Lord, and everybody just didn't want to sin, and everybody who ever gave their life, well, the Lord just wanted to do God's will. There's nothing else you want to do. That's what I thought. I thought everybody's like this. Everybody's like this. I'm sure all these people are praying when they get home and just reading their Bibles and being careful with what they watch and just free from sin and dumping all this stuff. That's how it is. I was totally innocent. I honestly thought that. And then the people I hung around with, I was shocked. Like the direct people around me that got saved when I did, we did the same. We were like, yeah. We thought that I, I, they saw me, I saw them. There was only a couple of us. And uh, I thought, everybody's like this. And then I went, not everybody's like this. I remember going to the Salton Sea, you know, not in Israel, you know, out there in the desert in California on the way here. And I remember we were going to go fishing and there was four of us, and I remember we were at this house there, and uh, we were uh, 
it was a family member's place, and so we're all in our early 20s, and I'm, you know, the lights are about to be turned off, and, you know, I start talking about the Lord. I'm thinking, everybody's going to want to talk about the Lord. We're all saved. This is just going to be the... And I was like, why didn't anybody really want to talk about the Lord? And somebody talked a little bit, and then they talked, and it became real natural, and then I'm thinking, I want to talk about the Lord. I, doesn't everybody want to talk about the Lord? And then I found out there are reasons why people don't have some of this. They just wanted to talk about natural. And then I wondered, why do they live in the natural? Seems odd. I was naive. Isaiah, you guys ready? We're going to look at this and we'll close up after we uh, get into this just for a little bit. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. And I thought, man, why don't they? And, and I've pictured over the years, even when I was in Bible school and being around people, and I thought, why do these people who are Bible school students seem to not be in it, and these ones did? And then you get around their own life and you go, I see why. I see why. And it's right here. maybe you've got all the peace you want. Maybe you don't know there's a ton more as a believer to walk in. You know, whatever it is, this divine peace will bring results uh, to your life. Isaiah 26.3, it says, You, God, will keep him in perfect peace, or literally, peace, peace. Remember when the woman who was healed in the Bible and he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. It's the same thing. It's peace, peace. Go in divine peace. Your faith has produced this. Notice this. You, God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Right there. Right there. Right there. Where's your mind? Where's your mind during the day? And when we think about mind, it shouldn't just be a mental thought. It should be through the meditation of my heart. I keep my mind on the Lord, my discussions, uh, my entertainment. Uh, even if I'm watching a movie, I can keep my mind on the Lord to some degree. The, to the greater degree you can, He because he only, God endorses when we act on truth. When we act away from truth, he doesn't endorse that and put his stamp. In other words, if I think on problems, he won't go, oh, he's thinking on problems. Let's give him some, let's make that peace manifest. No, he won't do that. Could that be like, Lord, do you want me to do this? Well, I'm going to go sin. And I start sinning, and I'm like, woo, hallelujah, I'm just sensing the peace of God right now. He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. I said he's not going to do that, but what he has endorsed when we do, he will, endorse, he will endorse it. If he endorses to do it, he will endorse it. In other words, his grace will there be there. And when he said here, he whose mind has stayed on the Lord... That's 
It's the natural course of life for a believer to want to follow after and have their mind on the Lord. We really have to go against His truth and against His ways to get our mind on all kinds of other things. And when we do, we will lose out on peace that we should have. The disciples, you know, when they were together after they got let out of prison, you know, they said, you know, we just need a weekend off to go down and, uh, you know, watch some of these things on TV and do some of this and just really unwind. I'm not saying it's wrong to watch something on TV whatsoever, but that is not going to make you unwind. I'm not saying you can't. I'm not saying it's bad. But I am saying, where is your mind? And as a believer, if you'll keep your mind on the Lord, and when I say your mind on the Lord, I mean where you just deep down you think on Him and you commune with Him. If your peace is not where it should be, this is what you do as a believer. How much can you handle? You were actually created and designed for this. Well, we went all over the road this morning. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. But there is divine peace. Every Christian when they receive, or person that receives the Lord, initiates this peace. That's what people find so fascinating. The darkness goes, the light comes, the peace is there, the restoration to God is there. Now, I have to keep my mind on the right thing, and my nature is to do it once I'm saved. I have to go against it. That's why we lose peace, because we go against our nature. Hallelujah. You know, I'm going to say this because it'll be helpful. It'll help you in being led by God. Sometimes people will do this. They'll start thinking about something they want to do. If you can do it deep down inside, you actually can learn to be led by God or God will lead you. And you just start, and you just start thinking, oh, I want to do this, I'm going to do this, and just start pondering. And I don't mean one time. And sometimes when you ponder down a certain path, it'll be like, yuck. If you're thinking down a path and it's like yucky inside, you need to say, Lord, is that the right thing I'm to do? Because if you go to do it, then your thoughts will be caught up in it, and then you'll be perpetually shutting off the peace of God. You with me? Because now your mind is in what you shouldn't be doing anyway. Everybody okay? Hallelujah. If I'm watching a movie and something starts getting scratchy, I don't care if I've been watching it for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, and all of a sudden I'm like, Ugh, you better turn that off because all of a sudden you're going into vacation, vacating, leaving peace divine peace. And I don't know about you, I'd like to live like they did in the Bible with peace. And I have a part to play. You can learn to be led that way.